0: Elohim, et Hashemay, Vayet, Hava Shemot Bene Israel, haba'im Mitraema, et yaakov Ish Ubed Vaykra El Moshe, Vay Adonai, Elif, me'ochel Moed, Lemon, Vay bear Adonai, El Moshe, Bami Bar Sinai, Beohel Moe, Hatevarim, Asher the Bar, Moshe. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you believed Moses, challenging words to the hearers of Yeshua's day. But what about today, perhaps equally as challenging, as Christians and Messianic Jews alike often find the Torah of Moses difficult to penetrate, to follow, to understand, and apply. Following the traditional weekly Torah cycle, we'll consider each portion in light of Messianic faith, just as Yeshua said, for he wrote of me. So let's consider the heart of the Torah. Shalom, friends, and welcome to Messiah in Life. This week we continue the study of the weekly Torah portion by beginning a new book, the book of Exodus, or Shemot, the book of names, also called the book of Redemption. This book, the Gospel of Exodus, we might say, is very broad in scope. We begin with the names of the sons of Jacob who entered into Egypt with him. And we conclude with the Lord dwelling in the midst of his people in the newly fabricated Mishkan, or tabernacle. And over the course of these next several weeks, we'll read, obviously, of the plagues, of the crossing of the Sea of Reeds, or the Red Sea, the giving of manna from heaven, the water from the rock, the revelation at Sinai, the sin of the golden calf, the instruction regarding the tabernacle, where the people of God can draw close to him, draw near to him for forgiveness and renewal. That is an incredible scope of literary narrative that we will be looking at, but it is speaking to us in a beautiful messianic way, a revelation of the Messiah. So as we consider this first portion the portion called Shemot or Names I want to pick up in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 1 We read this Va'ele Shemot beney Yisrael haba'im mitzrayma et Ya'akov ish ubeto ba'u and these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob each man with his household we're beginning this new narrative that will lead us into the revelation that there arose in Egypt a pharaoh who did not know Yosef or Joseph. He didn't know him. Now, there is many um, commentaries dealing with speculation regarding this. Perhaps this was a pharaoh who overthrew a previous pharaoh or a pharaoh who only knew Joseph by his Egyptian name, that is, Hebrew name. We simply do not know. Perhaps he wanted to diminish the importance of the Hebrews living in the land that he was afraid of, and so he had a case of amnesia regarding what Joseph did for Egypt. Whatever the case, we open with a death decree, a terrible death decree, that all of the sons of the Hebrews are to be killed when they are born. And the rabbis tell us that this would make it easier for the girls to be assimilated into Egyptian life, it ultimately lead to the extinction of the Jewish people or the people of Israel, the Hebrews. They would be assimilated and they would disappear. But that is not God's plan. No, what we read at the beginning of Exodus is a continuation. It actually opens with a conjunctive vav, ava ele, and these, shemot. These are the names of the sons of Israel. That tells us that the subject matter that is about to be introduced is connected to the ideas that we have just previously considered. And what we're seeing, again, we think back to Joseph speaking to the children of Israel as his death is drawing close. He talks about the Lord pachad um, yifchad, that the Lord would attend to, the Lord would remember you. And in that, he is speaking of the Lord taking Israel out of Egypt. And from what we, we understood when we considered that last in the last podcast was that when the Lord attended to them, he would bring them out. And this was a future promise to them. And in that, that they would remember to take the bones of Joseph out with them, that they would not leave him in Egypt. Rather, they would take him and for 40 years, he would travel with the children of Israel and ultimately be brought into the promised land by Yehoshua or Joshua. So, we find in that, that future blessing, that connection to the promise of God, that he will fulfill his word. And we rest upon that. We rest in that. And of course, in Messianic faith, we know that every promise of God is wrapped up in the person of Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus. So, how does that bring us to the opening of this book? Well, it's beautiful because we have Yosef, who was a Hebrew that became uh, that came to appear more as an Egyptian until he was revealed again as a Hebrew. So, the Hebrew Yosef appeared on the world stage. But now we have a Hebrew baby that will be sent down the Nile in this uh, uh, basket, essentially. Teva is what I'm thinking in, in Hebrew, but it is the woven bulrush basket. And ultimately, the daughter of Pharaoh will rescue him, naming him Moshe that he is pulled from the water. So this, this Hebrew boy, baby, will become an Egyptian man. But as we know from the Torah, he never forgets his people. And again, we see a Hebrew who is, for all intents and purposes, acting as an Egyptian, who then is revealed to be a Hebrew that the Lord will use to rescue his people. So, there's a beautiful continuation and theme between Yosef, Joseph, and Moses. So, as we consider that, again, we, we see this conjunctive Vav. The letter Vav is that conjunctive and. So, it's connecting what we have just read to what we are about to read. So, there's a continuation. The story continues. The development of the people of Israel continues. We began with Abraham being called out and having crossed over the definition of Evri or Hebrew. He crosses over the waters and he becomes the person that God is leading him out to be, the person of faith, the first teacher of monotheism, we might understand it in that way. And from this man, the Lord will make a covenant family, a covenant family of Yitzhak, Isaac, and Yaakov, Jacob. And the covenant family will become a family of brothers in covenant, ultimately a nation that will be a covenant community and covenant faithful as light to the world. So we see the connection between the conclusion of Genesis, the conclusion with Joseph as the leader and the events that are about to be revealed, the story of deliverance. And it really, as I said, began under Joseph because Joseph spoke into that future promise that God had given, that he would attend to his people. And now we see that attending to at its very beginning stage, as it is beginning to actually bloom, we might say, under the leadership of Moses, who was born under that death decree. So, the sons of Israel descended into Egypt. And this is language that we understand to be, uh, that is expecting, we might say, an ascent, and arising up from Egypt as well. And this, of course, would be a long exile from the promised land. Hundreds of years, generations, where they were separated from the promised land, living in exile, awaiting the time, the right time, God's time, when he would attend to them and raise up a leader to bring them back into the promised land. So during that time, of course, Jacob and his sons die. A new generation that knows who they are begins to arise. They begin to Multiply; they're fruitful in the land of Goshen, in the land of Egypt, and of course they become a threat to Pharaoh. And in that, they become a nameless, faceless horde of people, not only to Pharaoh but also to his court. Let us deal cunningly with them. That let us, of course, would draw our mind, draw our mind back to. Let us make man in our image. Let us. So there's an action in concert here. So, the rabbi's reason, you know, why was this apparent delay? What was the reason for this apparent delay before the exodus? Um, I think it has to do primarily with the promise that was given to Abraham, that there was a period of time in which the uh, sins of the ites would be fulfilled and their time uh, would be at hand, the time for them to be moved out of the promised land would be at hand but one lesson learned in exile one lesson learned when you are not fully occupying god's promise is human decency to care for others as we would like to be cared for as as messiah teaches us in matthew 7:12 do unto others for you would have them for <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do unto you for this is the law and the prophets and we will obviously get into that and more substance as we get into the statutes of the law but these lessons take time to learn they take time to mature into they take time for god's grace to begin to illuminate them and and we trust them we trust his command we trust him in our situations As we deal with things, not in a way that we would prefer, but in a way that he would prefer. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the stranger. Even love your enemy. But when we see love your neighbor as yourself, love the stranger as yourself, we find it attached to because you were strangers in Egypt. Because you know what it's like to be the stranger, to be the foreigner, to be the one who does not have the power and the control, who does not have the position or the influence because you have been in this position, you will know what it is and you will treat others in a manner that is dignifying the humanity and the image and likeness of God that they are made in. If we were never hungry, if we were never thirsty, if we're never lonely, if we don't have these type of experiences and have them renewed in faith, we would not know what it meant or felt like to cry out for bread, for water, for companionship, we wouldn't necessarily attend to those who found themselves in that place of need. So there is a development of character that happens here, and it's a tragic one. I mean, we see this all of the time. Now, I'm not one who likes to theologize pain, but when we can see the theological maturity that comes as we endure trial and how we are then more, uh, or we say better situated, more mature in faith to actually walk out the command that God has given to us, to trust him in that, as I've said, to trust in his grace, to allow us to give to to someone's increase at our decrease. All of these are lessons that we develop when, uh, or are developed in us or mature in us as we are waiting, or we are experiencing difficulty or trial in our own life. So the Parsha names, as you go through this, uh, the beginning verses, it names the sons of Jacob who entered the land with him. And we know that they're fruitful. We know that they're blessed. And those who were named, of course, unknowingly, and their descendants unknowingly, enter bondage. They are settling into a trap that they are not yet able to see, as the Pharaoh who would eventually enslave them was not initially in power. And then we also, of course, learn the name of the Deliverer. But the beautiful thing about the birth narrative of Moses, and I wrote about this in a devotional on my Facebook page and on my website, mountainmensch.com, in Exodus 2, verses 1 and 2, the birth announcement of Moses does not have his father's name, his mother's name, or his name. So in the book of Shemot, the book of names, we have these nameless individuals who play such an important role in the history of Israel. You have Amram, a dignified people. A dignified people. You have Jachabed or Yachabed, which means um, uh, exalted uh, God or uh, yeah, exalted God. It's an esteemed God. Speaking of the honor of God. And then you have Moshe who is drawn forth from the water. So when we think about why were they not named here? We learn of Moses' name only after Pharaoh's daughter adopts him into their household, which caused him to become an heir of Pharaoh. But why not name them? Well, one of the most important lessons that we learn from that is that we don't have to be someone of importance, born of someone of importance, born of a family of, uh, of, of great honor or position to be used by God. Because we're talking about two parents who were enslaved, who had a child that was born under a death decree. You really cannot get much lower than that. But yet God used the parents of Moses to bring forth the child who would lead Israel out of bondage and would receive upon Mount Sinai face to face the law of God and ultimately be the greatest teacher of the Messiah incredible when you think about that but it wasn't because of who Moses was in himself but who God called Moses to be and then we see the revelation of the divine name the I am the I am who I am or when we see the development of it in Exodus 3 14 and 15 I am sent you sent me to you as he says who am I going to tell has, uh, you know, has sent me here. What am I going to say? I am sent me to you. I will be sent me to you because of the conjugation of the Hebrew verb to be the ineffable name of the living God, the, the I am again from that root to be speaks to his being, his eternity, his beingness. We might even say and to his eternity. So Moses supposed that when he went back, remember, he goes into exile. He leaves Egypt twice. He leaves Egypt fleeing from Pharaoh, worried that Pharaoh would kill him. But the second time he leaves, as the author of Hebrew records in Hebrews 11, the second time he leaves, he does not even consider the anger of Pharaoh. He marches out boldly because the Lord is leading them as he leads Israel. So Moses supposed that when he appears to the elders of Israel, that they'd ask for God's name. You know, who sent me? You know, who sent you? And of course, the Lord says, say to them, I am has sent me to you. And of course, as I talked about last week, we have that carryover of attending to, that kind of key Phrase, that, you know, that phrase that was almost like a a secret password, we might say. Because Joseph said, the Lord would pachad yifchad, that he would attend to you. And that he would remember you. And when he does, bring out my bones. So when Moses appears before Israel... Moses appears before them, he says these words that God is visiting God is remembering, and he he triggers them to understand that this is the beginning of the promise that God would deliver them. so the question as Moses kind of forms it in his mind um he is he's really inquiring. Of the Lord's character, of the Lord's nature, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob—if we think back to how they related to the living God—they related to Him as El Shaddai, even though they knew the Yod We see that clearly in the Hebrew text: God Almighty, as El Shaddai. That's how they—they they saw Him as their provider. But Israel, the sons of Jacob, would know Him as. Deliverer and ever present Lord. And that's what they are learning. And this is why when Messiah comes, he will be Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, ever present with us. So when Moses asks, who am I? Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? Who, who, who am I? I mean, think about this. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He was an heir to Pharaoh as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. The Lord then answers him and says in Exodus 3, 14, I am. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? Well, I am, Moses. I am. I am. So, when Moses said, I'm not a man of words, you know, I'm not a man of I'm not. I don't, I don't speak well. The Lord says, I am the one who makes men speak. I am not. I am the one who makes men speak. Now, there's a degree of self-doubt that is essential in leadership, that is essential in healthy leadership. There has to be some degree of self-doubt. You cannot be so confident that you are so sure that you will never make a mistake, that you have not done wrong. No, there needs to be a degree of self-doubt, because in that self-doubt, there becomes a bit of reflection. There becomes that reflection to be able to look upon how you are treating, what you are doing, how you are relating to, to whom you are submitting, to who you are lifting up, and so on and so forth. There has to be that degree of self-doubt in order for us to remain humble as we lead, as we teach, as we come alongside of. But Moses certainly seemed to have A little bit more than self-doubt. Perhaps he had a bit of imposter syndrome, we might say. When we think of imposter syndrome, it might be that because of all that he knew he had done. How he had killed the Egyptian. How he had lived. What he had experienced. Because of that. And because he fled. Because he left Egypt. Because he left his people. Because he went to the far Outskirts of you know the back side of God's world to shepherd' sheep, perhaps he just did not feel as if it could possibly be him who would lead the children of Israel out, looking down upon himself, seeing himself not as God sees him, but as he believes others would see him, and ultimately as he would see himself. Who am I that I would go into Pharaoh? I am nothing well. You were an heir of Pharaoh. You know the house. You know the culture. You know the people. So Moses was not an imposter. Moses was exactly who God called him to be. So the Torah records that new king, again, that didn't know Joseph. And the commentators, the commentators, the rabbinic commentators find in the language of the Torah, that this new king, perhaps again, might have arisen from an uprising among the egyptian people and that this may have caused him to be weary of not only egyptians but also hebrews that if our enemy comes in and they join with them that they will overthrow me essentially is what he is saying so there's a bit of paranoia at work because ultimately he this pharaoh is the imposter this pharaoh is not god this pharaoh is illegitimate. And because of that, he doesn't just have the the syndrome, he has the uh he he actually is the imposter, he is false. So it's under this Pharaoh again that the sons of Israel, the children, the boys of Israel, are subject to the death decree, the girls of Israel are in danger of being assimilated, and ultimately their children no longer being. Part of the called-out family of God and the people of God disappearing from the face of the earth. The rabbis explain that that would have been the easiest thing for Egypt to do to get rid of this nameless, faceless horde. Again, this is even what uh, Balak is afraid of. I have these, this mass of people, this horde that are licking up the grass, licking up the land as they move forward. And that's the dehumanizing effect of fear, that you need to dehumanize those that you are most afraid of in order to justify what you are planning to do to them. So Moses, again, is born under that death decree. And in order to save him, he's placed in that wicker basket, we might say, that that woven bulrush basket. The Torah calls it the teva. Again, this is a carryover, and it should draw our attention back to Noah and his teva and the flood judgment. But Noah Noah leads us in our thinking about Moses as we think of Moses being rescued in this teva, floating along the reeds, the suf, in Exodus 2 and verse 4. Of course, this is foreshadowing where Moses is floating in the Teva down the Nile among the Suf, among the reeds. We see the foreshadowing of the parting and the deliverance through the Yom Suf, the sea of reeds after the Passover event. So we have these connections that the Lord is making, these clues that the Lord is giving to us in the text for how he weaves the whole story of redemption history together. So Noah, of course, is saved by entering the word, the teva, the box, the ark that will float upon the turbulent waters. Moses is saved by being set into the word upon the water. The children of Israel are then saved by the blood of the lamb, according to the word that God had given to them. And they will pass through the parted sea of reeds by the power of the Spirit of God. Beautiful connections and beautiful, the faithfulness of God is being beautifully depicted for us, and his history of dealing with his people is being laid out for us. Moses has this incredible I am experience, as of course the Lord calls to him from the bush that is on fire, that is burning but it's not being consumed. There's a supernatural uh, manifestation, a super, a miraculous manifestation there. Not all of us will be called before a burning bush, but I submit to you that we don't need to. See, we have the I Am in our life now. We have the I Am in our life now, the Messiah, the Mashiach. See, the I Am who has called us, who has saved us, who has redeemed us, who has renewed us, who is sanctifying us, justifying us, and ultimately will glorify us with himself is Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. And when we are born again in him, we see, just as was depicted in Acts chapter 2, there was a flame of fire that was appearing as tongues above the heads of the apostles in Jerusalem, a fire that was burning but yet not consuming them. It was a fire that was filling them and ultimately as a display of the Holy Spirit indwelling them. Why is that? Well, because the Messiah promised to send the Spirit of God that would sanctify, that was justifying, and ultimately glorifying the work of the Messiah in us through the Spirit. But how does the I Am of Yeshua His beautiful statements connect to us. How does he relate to us in this? And it is a way, his I am statements are a way of him expressing who he is as Emmanuel or Emmanuel, God with us. When he says, I am the door, we all know what doors look like. We walk through doors all of the time. It is a beautiful reminder in our everyday life of who Messiah is as the door into God's pasture, into God's presence, into God's house. I am the door. I am the way in. You can't find another way beside me. I am the good shepherd. Many of us I happen to uh, be a shepherd at one point in my life for a number of years so I understand the picture that he has given to us through the Good Shepherd, I am the Good Shepherd, I am the one who is caring for the sheep. I am present with you. I am not only the Good Shepherd, but I am the door into the pasture. I am the one who sits by the door. I am the one whose blood has been applied to the door, and these all of these symbols work together. I am the way, the truth, and the life when we are along the way when we are looking for the truth. And we are trying to figure out what is the life. Messiah says, I am that way, I am the truth, and I am the life. All definite articles here. I am the bread of life. That hunger that never seems to go away, that need for spiritual nourishment, the bread that comes down out of heaven, that truly satisfies, he is That bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who is stood up. And I am the one who gives the new life. I am the true vine. This is, of course, a Davidic reference of the vine of Jesse. The the root of Jesse and so on. Uh, The Davidic reference back to this. He's the true vine that we need to be attached to. I am the light of the world. And the, one of the most beautiful I am's that is not typically counted among the seven I am statements. Before Abraham was, I am. You can say before Moses was, I am. Beautiful expression of the enduring presence of the Messiah in our life. And just as Messiah, excuse me, just as the Lord would send Moses back to Egypt, and of course Egypt in Scripture typifies the world, the world of sin, the world of bondage. The Lord would send Moses to be a messenger, to be a deliverer, to be the one who would lead people into his presence. The Messiah sends us who have been born again out into the world to make disciples through the Great Commission baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you, and that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. And he could not make that statement unless he is the I Am. Beautiful connections messianically here that we find, that we derive from, that we can look back into this portion of Shemot and see the intimacy of God with Moses and how that intimacy between God and Moses and the mission that God has sent Moses on connects to the great commission that the Messiah has sent each of us on in his name. So friends, I'm not sure if there was anything that was meaningful to you in this today. I think there is a lot to unpack in this portion. There is a lot to meditate on. This was just one simple strand of a very beautiful portion. But I hope and pray that you see that you do not have to be a scholar. You do not have to be uh, of any particular high birth. You don't have to be of any particular nationality. That the Lord will use you because he has called you. And he has redeemed you, and he's renewed you, and he has sanctified you, and he's justified you. And ultimately, he will glorify you. And in that, that's the beautiful promise that he has given to us, and that as we go out and labor in his name to glorify his name, that when we see people cross over from death to life, we share in this experience that Moses stood on the cusp of, Moses saw ultimately across the Jordan, but he didn't enter in through the Jordan. He did lead the children of Israel through the parted Sea of Reeds, and he got to see their rejoicing when they entered or or came upon the other side. But we get to share in that as well, and it's not because um, you are someone special in yourself, but rather he has made you a treasure in his eyes, a vessel of honor. So never forget that God is going to use you. Messiah wants to use you. He's not waiting for you to be useful to him. You already are, because you are in him. So hold on to that as you face discouragement days ahead the days even right now hold on to that beautiful truth that you are already useful to him and that because you are in the messiah the father is well pleased with you and i pray that's an encouragement to you so until next week when we continue to go deeper into this confrontation between moses and pharaoh and god and pharaoh and the beginning of the plagues. I hope and pray that no matter where you are, that you remember that God loves you and that you are well-pleasing to Him because you are in His Son. And I thank you for listening and enduring through this podcast, and I hope and pray that it's been a blessing to you. So until next time, friends, Yivarecha a Yeshua. May the Lord bless and keep you all In the mighty name of Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, amen, amen.